Well, it's Thanksgiving week in the United States, and that means Perry and I are actually going to take this week off to spend time with our respective families. We are so thankful for all of our listeners every week listening to us answer your beauty questions and helping you be brainy about your beauty. This week, we're going to kick it back to episode 166, the very first episode Perry and I did together. We'll be back next week answering all your beauty questions. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you then. Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello, and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski. On today's episode, we're going to be answering questions about dying gray hair, whether silicone is bad for curly hair, if stem cells are good anti-aging ingredients, and we'll ponder why some people think all natural is better. We'll also cover a couple of beauty science stories in the news. But first, we should start with an update of what's been going on with this show. So it's been a little time since we've done an episode of The Beauty Brains. Now Randy has gone off to other endeavors, and I've been busy with my formulation website, Chemist's Corner. However, I really miss doing the Beauty Brains podcast, and plus the amount of beauty product nonsense and marketing hype really seems to have multiplied since the start of this year uh, when we had stopped doing regular broadcasts. That's why we decided to bring back the show. We'll follow generally the same format, but we may experiment with some new things like interviews or maybe other segments. But before we get to the main show, I should introduce our newest beauty brain, Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Valerie, you're new to the show, new voice. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about you and maybe how you got started in the beauty business? Sure, Perry. As he said, my name is Valerie, and I run research and development for the world's largest privately owned salon brand, and I consider myself somewhat of a hair and hair color expert. I first started in the industry about eight years ago and started in makeup, liked it but didn't love it, and soon found my way into hair care uh, where I started working in hair color, and I haven't looked back since. I love cosmetic science, and I love communicating about the industry. Yeah, and we met through the Society of Cosmetic Chemists, I guess. Uh, We are both cosmetic chemists. Yes. This is usually where uh, I do some sort of uh, obscure chit-chat about myself, but since it's a new show, we'll save that for a later time. (laughs) Why don't we get started with some beauty science news? First up, Valerie, why don't you... Talk to us about that CoverGirl story and their move to become cruelty-free. So I saw CoverGirl posting a press release a couple weeks ago about their desire to help end testing cosmetic products on animals, and they've now certified their brand as cruelty-free. There's been a lot of buzz and excitement over such a large company taking a stand for making cosmetics cruelty-free. And I found it very interesting because a lot of brands are already doing this, but no one's really talking about it. Yeah, it really seemed like uh, all the big guys were getting into it. I saw Unilever did something, L'Oreal was doing something, now Cody. It's uh, it's really the hot thing. Not, not only, it, This is kind of like a smaller brand kind of thing, but now the big guys seem to be doing it too. 
Well, CoverGirl definitely isn't alone in the industry, whether it's uh, big brands or small brands. A lot of people are doing this because I think being vegan is one thing, but being cruelty-free and making sure your products and the ingredients in the products aren't tested on animals is just be, it's beyond a consumer preference. It seems like a big challenge for these companies, though. Like, how do you verify that your ingredients aren't uh, tested, right? It's, I mean, it's easy to say that my products are not tested on animals. You know, just don't test them on animals. But, you know, all the ingredients that they get, I mean, com cosmetic companies generally don't make their own raw materials. So they don't really have a good way of knowing whether their suppliers have tested on animals or maybe the, the suppliers, if they get pro ingredients from distributors, if they can prove that their ingredients are safe without having been tested on animals. I, I just don't know how they do that. Well, it certainly is a big step in terms of securing documentation and having trust in your supplier that what they are putting on that piece of paper is true. I think when we're talking about new ingredients coming to market, it is challenging to provide substantiation for safety because the old way was testing on animals. And now, fortunately, there are some new methods that are allowing companies to, ingredient companies, to test their ingredients uh, that are in vitro and in vivo that aren't using animals. So that's good to hear. Yeah, I think ultimately this is a, a claim that's going to go away rather soon because, you know, the EU has already banned animal testing of cosmetics. Um, I think Canada was looking at it. I know California was looking at doing something which could set the tone for everybody in the United States. I mean, I just think it's going to be just one of those things. Yeah, every every company is already uh, anti-animal testing. Exactly. I think it's beyond a consumer preference, beyond a trend, and it will become the new normal. I totally agree with you. The, the, the one... The one thing I really don't like about those cruelty-free claims, though, is the products... Cruelty-free is not the right word. I mean, the products are not free from cruelty, you know? Because a lot of these ingredients are from uh, agriculture, and there are lots of, you know, bunnies and mice that get ground up when plants are uh, harvested, not to mention the insects that are all killed. So... You know, from that standpoint, I don't see them as, as cruelty-free. Maybe just less cruel. <laughs> I guess it depends how far we want to take the legal definition of cruelty-free. Yeah, exactly. But bottom line, what do, you, what do you think this means for consumers? I think consumers should know that because of the EU restrictions and what's already happening in the marketplace, a lot of brands they're already not testing their products on animals. And it's great to see that CoverGirl has made this commitment, but a lot of brands are already doing it. So, you know, check labels, check websites to make sure that you're purchasing from a brand that does not purchase, uh, does not test on animals. I think it's also important to recognize that certain geographies do require animal testing to enter the marketplace. So, for example, in China, um, animal testing has been a requirement for some time on finished goods, and it's been hard for brands to make a decision about whether or not to sell in that marketplace. Right. It is a dilemma for brands because if they sell in China, does that taint their entire company? You know, because maybe they don't animal test for stuff in the United States, but if they do in China, does that sort of tar and feather the entire company? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. 
And it doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth either to know that. But business is business, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. And if it bothers you, then uh, you have to, uh, you know, just because something is not verified doesn't mean they do test on animals uh, because you have to pay like extra money to the uh, the cruelty-free people to, what was the name of that? Uh... Cruelty-free international. Ah, right, right, from that. So you have to pay extra money because they're going to go and verify. But uh, it, you could see how like a smaller brand who doesn't test on animals, they don't want to pay that extra extra amount of money, though, to get certified. I think the bottom line of what this means for consumers, though, is that, you know, getting rid of animal testing means that uh, the products of the future probably won't be much different than the stuff we have now, at least until we get uh, animal testing alternatives. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll see a difference in our products, but... I think this is more a difference in the way of people are running their businesses. So you don't have to worry about your favorite product changing anytime soon. Exactly. All right. Let's move on to the second story here before we get to questions. Um, I got this email from the PR firm that does the work for the Environmental Working Group, the EWG. Now, this is a group uh, located out there in California. Um, they, they seem to exist to propagate fear about cosmetics. <laughs> okay, I'm a little biased. <laughs> Um, well, they sent me this notice uh, crowing about how they were mentioned on the Keeping Up with the Kardashians reality TV show. And I think they wanted to get booked uh, on, the, on the podcast, right? <laughs> they, must, they must not listen to the show. <laughs> anyway, uh, they were mentioned on the show because the EWG has an app for rating various products based on their system and their, the information they have in their Skin Deep database. You familiar with the Skin Deep database? Yes, I am. They do a pop-up every time you visit their website to let you know how safe they are making sure your ingredients are. Oh, that's very, very kind of them. <laughs> well, the database is not only just a tool for them to get donations, it's, it's also a collection of information about the ingredients in cosmetics. So the people at the EWG, they kind of created this uh, arbitrary sort of non-science-based rating system uh, where they give a number to an ingredient based on what they think uh, its toxicity is. Um, and then that app that they have, they have the ingredient list from the product makers, and then they can give the score of, an of a product based on how it's represented in the Skin Deep database. Um, so, so I guess that's the whole system, but there's, there are a lot of holes in this system, uh, this, this database, uh, that I've seen over the years. And, uh, I, I, I looked at it again today and verified that these holes are still there. So first, um, one of my biggest problems with the, the rating system is that it ignores the very important notion in toxicology that the dose makes the poison, right? So that means, you know, Things can cause problems at some really high concentration, but they could be perfectly fine at a low concentration. For example, like you have one beer, you're perfectly fine, and you have 15 beers, well, <laughs> that'll affect you differently, right? Or how about eating one piece of pie is perfectly fine, but eating the whole thing makes you feel sick. You know, um, I, I made a pumpkin pie this, this week uh, for Thanksgiving, but you're not a pumpkin pie eater, are you? <laughs> No, actually, I'm allergic to all four spices that go into pumpkin pie. Really? So I had to avoid it for many years. Yeah, it was very difficult at first because um, pumpkin spice, all things nice. But uh, now I, it doesn't even bother me anymore. Ah, I see. I, you know, whenever I cook, I have one secret ingredient, sort of my signature ingredient. You know what that ingredient is? 
Um, cinnamon? No, pumpkin spice. <laughs> oh, that's an actual spice? Yeah, there's a pumpkin spice is a blend of nutmeg, cinnamon, and something else. Clove, ginger. I exactly. And you're allergic to it. Yep. But that is all relevant here because that just demonstrates to you that you can't really put a number on ingredients because all people around the country are allergic or react differently to different ingredients. And the dose of that really does matter. Exactly. This is one of the oldest principles in alchemy. There was, a, I think, a alchemist named Paracelsus um, von Hohenheim. We used to learn about him when I was in the chemistry fraternity in college. But he uh, really coined this adage that the dose makes the poison to define the basic principle of toxicology. Yeah, exactly. And it turns out that any ingredient can actually be toxic, right? If you have a high enough dose. Um, in fact, people, people die from too much exposure to water. So, you know, giving ingredients some simple number rating for toxicity, it's, I find it just misleading and actually quite unhelpful. You know, another problem that I have is that the EWG, they don't employ any toxicologists. You know, toxicologists, the scientists who specifically study the safety of ingredients. Now, don't you think it's strange that there are no toxicologists on staff? I do. And I've questioned that before um, on social media with them without any response. Well, I looked at their website because they list their whole staff on the website. And in just going through that, they had a couple of people who have backgrounds in science, but, you know, it's 30 people in the company. There's like two people, but nobody has a degree in toxicology. But, you know, if they really cared about accuracy, would, wouldn't they consult toxicologists when making an ingredient safety database? You think they would. These people have special training to understand uh, all sorts of safety data from reprotoxicity, mutagenicity, car carcinogenicity, they, they really specialize in this. So I, I find that shocking. They would provide a, a toxic rating, but not have a toxicologist do that safety assessment. <sighs> yeah, go figure. Uh, although I should say that I'm sure you can find scientists who, you know, they would expound non-scientific opinions about things. So just being a scientist doesn't automatically mean that the opinion is right, but it's a better start than not having one, right? Mm-hmm. The, the reality about this simple rating system, though, is I don't think it works for cosmetic ingredients. You know, as much as sites like the EWG want to make it work, science and toxicology is pretty complicated. And you're not making yourself safer by using their app. That is the bottom line. And unless you have a known allergic reaction to an ingredient, this app certainly isn't going to help you. At least I don't think so. I agree. Now, the article does go on to parrot the other standard misleading talking points that you see from the IG EWG, like the idea that cosmetic products are not safety tested. They are safety tested. And then the idea that the uh, with a low EWG rating, that some product that has a low EWG rating is going to be more safe than ones with a higher rating. They're not safer. And the notion that new cosmetic uh, regulatory legislation is going to pro make products more safe, in my opinion, it's not going to. It definitely won't. I think one of the things that's missing here that consumers don't necessarily uh, remember is that it is illegal to put unsafe products on the market by the FDA. And, you know, while the onus is on the brand to substantiate the safety of products, this app really isn't going into the 
the brand's formula and ingredient architecture and able to create a proper assessment. It's not, it's a surface level look at what they can find from Google. And I don't think that's the best way to provide safety information on a product to people. Exactly. So what is, what can we do? I mean, I think as, as consumers, I think you can assume that products that are bought in stores and produced by big corporations, they are safe. 